I'm Jeff, if we haven't met. I realized first service, there was someone here I'd never met. They're like, who are you? I'm like, I'm Jeff. So that's good. Um, I want to dismiss our kids. And we're out that door. So kids, head out that door. Annika, everybody wants to go hang with Annika. Annika and Stacy are over there. So kids, you can head that way. Parents, if you want to walk your kids, that's way. That's totally cool too. But we're dismissing our kids. And um, in case you didn't pick up um, or haven't looked in the bulletin, um, and I actually imagine why some of you are at second service who are normally at first service. But um, after this, uh, we're going to eat lunch outside. We have pizza, uh, trying to be sensitive to this pandemic t- time. We're going to be outside even though it's hot. <laughs> um, but what we're going to do is we're going to eat. What we want to do is just celebrate Kyle and Barb um, and their, their whole family's here. So Keegan, we can celebrate Keegan and Maddie too if you want, I guess. Um, but uh, we want to celebrate the whites well. Uh, we're going to have a time to share. So either be preparing something you want to share, uh, just the way God's used them, uh, or um, if you're not a verbal person, write it down. Just we want to express our gratitude to them, and we'll do that after the service. So hang around for that. Um, but let's let's go ahead and jump in. What do you say? I guess in the spirit of Sarah's class clown, I'm, I'm going to start with I guess what you could call a joke with a purpose. An old farmer went to the city one weekend and attended the big city church, and he came home, and his wife asked him how it was. Well, said the farmer, it was good. They did something different. However, they sang praise choruses instead of hymns. Praise choruses, asked the wife. What are those? Well, they're okay. They're sort of like hymns, only different, said the farmer. Well, what's the difference, asked the wife. Farmer said, well, it's like this. If I were to say to you, Martha, the cows are in the corn, well, that would be a hymn. If, on the other hand, I were to say to you, Martha, 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 oh, Martha, 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 the cows, the big cows, the brown cows, the black cows, the white cows, the black and white cows, the cows, the cows, the cows are in the corn, are in the corn, are in the corn, in the corn, corn, corn. (laughs) And then if I were to repeat the whole thing two or three times, well, that would be a praise chord. As luck would have it, the exact same Sunday, a young new Christian from the city church attended the small town church, and he came home, and his wife asked him how it was. Well, said the young man, it was good. They did something different. However, they sang hymns instead of regular songs. Hymns, asked the wife, what are those? Well, they're okay. They're sort of like regular songs, only different, said the young man. Well, what's the difference, asked the wife. Young man said, well, it's like this. If I were to say to you, Martha, the cows are in the corn, well, that would be a regular song. If, on the other hand, I were to say to you, O Martha, dear Martha, hear thou my cry. Inclinest thine ear to the words of my mouth. Turn thou thy whole wondrous ear by and by to the righteous, glorious truth. For the way of the animals, who can explain? There in their heads is no shadow of sense. Hearkenest they in God's Son or his reign, unless from the mild, tempting corn they are fenced. Yea, those cows in glad bovine rebellious delight have broke free their shackles, their warm pens eschewed. They goaded by minions of darkness and night, they all my mild, bright, yellow, sweet corn have chewed. So look to that bright, shining day by and by, where all foul corruptions of earth are reborn, where no vicious animal makes my soul cry, and I no longer see those foul cows in the corn. And then if I were to do only verses 1, 3, and 4 and change keys on the last verse, well, that would be a hymn. (laughs) So why do I start with that joke? Well, 
We are working our way through 1 Corinthians. We're in chapter 14, and I want to remind you of a few things before we read this morning. I think it's important to remember that the community you're a part of shapes you, right? That's part of the joke. The church, if some of you were raised in a church, the church you were raised in shapes you. It shapes what you think of as normal. It shapes how you see things. It shapes what you expect. And as we'll talk about later on, the community, even the broader community, it shapes how you evaluate things. Now, this is a hard, I mean, I honestly, if you're here for your first Sunday, it's kind of a weird first Sunday uh, to be at church. Hopefully, it's not too awkward or weird, but, but it's just a, it's a text that doesn't get preached very often. And sometimes I get a little bit like, yeah, we preach texts that other people don't. And sometimes I'm like, why do we do that? Why do, why do I? But, but there really is, and we'll talk about formation as we gather. There's, there's a reason we value the Bible. And I want to teach us to read the Bible in, in healthy ways. You can read the Bible in very unhealthy ways. I want to teach us to read the Bible in healthy ways. And it's often very healthy to read whole books. So we are going all the way through 1 Corinthians, and we're in chapter 14. That's what we're doing. We value this. Even if some weeks aren't as, and we'll talk about it, some weeks aren't as entertaining as other weeks. That's okay, because we value the story that tells us who we are and who God is. So we're in a section where Paul is trying to shepherd the church in Corinth around the year 55, a long time ago. Corinth, think of Greece. Uh, and, and how they are gathering together. And we're going to talk about spiritual gifts today. We've been doing this for a while. We've got three weeks left in our series. We'll talk about spiritual gifts today. We've got two weeks on the resurrection. Chapter 15 is one of the great chapters. That's a preachable chapter. <laughs> and then chapter 16, we'll, we'll wrap this up. And then in, in four weeks, I'm going to start a new series called Home. I'm really excited about this series for a lot of different reasons. It'll be different. We've been in 1 Corinthians. We'll, we'll kind of jump around to different passages but we're going to hone in on this idea of what does it mean to be home, to be a part of the family of God, to belong. We'll talk about a bunch of different things. Today's spiritual gifts. And I want to remind you of one more thing before we get too far. A few weeks ago, I mentioned one of the reasons I'm a part of the Evangelical Free Church of America. I grew up Lutheran, but now I'm in the Evangelical Free Church of America. And one of the things that attracted me to the Evangelical Free Church was that in our culture, we major on the majors and minor on the minors. And I'm not going to take time to go through all of what the majors are and minors are. If you want to ask me, that's great. But I like to tell people the majors are generally the things you find in the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed or even our statement of faith. I love our statement of faith. It's really one of the reasons I'm a part of the EFCA. They give you a good idea of what the majors are, but the minors are a lot of these things that throughout church history, the church is just not agreed upon, but People have reasons in the Bible why they hold the view that they hold. And, and so we tend to call these minor issues. They're minor. It doesn't mean they're not important. So baptism tends to be, do you baptize infants only? Or do you baptize believers only? Or how, that tends to be one that the church has just not fully agreed on. And we're, we're humble about it. it doesn't mean, baptism's super important. It doesn't mean it's not important. It just means we're not going to break fellowship over that. That's what we mean by minor. We're not going to break fellowship. We agree to disagree, and we actually, as a denomination, believe that humility is a character of Jesus, and, and being humble about some of these minor issues helps us walk in a way that teaches us humility. So I would say it's good to approach the spiritual gifts as a minor issue this morning. 
Lots of reasons why I say that. Um, I've been a part of a lot of different church communities. I know that. And, I, and I've listened to your stories. I, I mean, you would be surprised to hear how many different stories we could tell about people's experiences growing up in the church or beyond. And I also would say that you and I are, are a ch- we're a part of a church that values deeply what the Holy Spirit is doing around the world. We, we care about global missions, don't we? And I will tell you, this is one of the issues where you're, you're going to travel around the world, you're going to find believers in Christ of different nationalities who understand all this and practice gathering on a Sunday morning very differently than we do. And so it helps us to be humble, to be a part of the global church, to say, hey, I might, agree, I might not agree with you on that, or that's not been my experience, but you know what? I'm not going to break fellowship over that. I'm going to be humble. And, and I feel like we do a pretty good job of that as a church because at NIU we get international students here and I think international students feel very welcomed here, even though I know, because I know some of the countries, I've been to some of them, I know that they worship very differently on Sunday than we do. (laughs) But they feel welcomed here because that's good. That's the body of Christ. The, The church is a community of people that gather around Jesus, that keep Jesus central. Jesus and his way of love should shape how we see things. Jesus and his way of love, this is what we talked about last week in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, It should shape what we expect, and love should shape how we evaluate things. When we gather as a church, we practice love because God is love. And as Paul was saying last week, he's given up childish ways. If you want to be mature, you have to learn the way of love from Jesus. And Paul is going to be dealing with some problems in the church in Corinth, and he's going to lead, and he's going to shepherd. But Paul tends to think, well, the way of love should be enough. He expounds on why love is central, and now he's just going to get practical on, okay, this is what I think love looks like as you're gathering on Sunday mornings, church in Corinth. I I told you last week he's leaning deeply into Jesus. I think as he explains what love is in chapter 13, he's really just, this is who Jesus is. Jesus is patient and kind. He doesn't envy, he doesn't boast, he's not self-seeking. I mean, he's just, he's describing Jesus. And okay, so let's be like Jesus when we gather because the point of gathering is to become more like him. And as we'll get into this, I hope you understand the church in Corinth has lost sight of love. That's why Paul's, he's going he's to be like really specific as we get into this chapter. They were too focused on competing and performing. They were too focused on two gifts in particular. And Paul is going to again and again remind them of love, of building each other up, and that what builds people up is love. It's Jesus. So chapter 14 is like 40 verses. It's long, and and I know the nature of this topic is going to bring about all kinds of questions. And so I can't, I really can't. I I can't address all of them, but I'd love to talk to you about them. I'd love to interact. Even as you talk about spiritual gifts and some of the things we'll talk, some of you might even have stories about how how the Spirit of God moved in you or how you were wounded. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that flows out of a conversation like this. And again, I, I think the community that you were a part of for a long time has a big impact on shaping you. But chapter 14, as Paul is writing it, is about what happens when any gift is distorted and when we forget that the gifts are for the good of the church. That Paul is going to say the gifts expressed in love should bring about peace and harmony. That the gifts expressed in love should create community because we're the new community, the new family of God, the church. 
rallying around Jesus and, and our gifts expressed in love and service should create community. But somehow in Corinth, there's more chaos than peace. There's more competition and rivalry than community. That's been a theme all the way through this letter. And so Paul's leaning into it. So if you want to join with me, chapter 14, verses 1 through 5, it'll be up on the screen as well. In case you think I'm making too big of a deal about this love thing, again, read chapter 13 and let's just see where we begin. Pursue love! If you're going to do anything, pursue love. Yes, the gifts are great. Yes, they're awesome. But pursue love. And then earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. I don't think I've defined spiritual gifts yet, so let me give you an, in, an inadequate but helpful definition. How's that? So, uh, This morning, let's just call a spiritual gift a spirit-empowered ability freely given by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of serving others and building up the church for the good of all. I think as you read through Corinthians, that's a good definition. It's a, it's a spirit-empowered ability freely given. It comes from the Holy Spirit. You didn't, you didn't learn this or train this or practice in this, right? No, the Spirit of God just gives you this gift. But it's not for you. It's for the service of your brothers and sisters and for the building up of the church. But now we're going to get into these two gifts that have been distorted especially that you may prophesy. Verse 2, for one who speaks in a tongue, we'll talk about speaking in tongues, speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him. But he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Now, I want you to hear Paul believes both of these are gifts from the Spirit. He's not trying to diminish any of them. He's just saying when you gather... The one who speaks, verse 4, is building himself up. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. He says, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. So let's talk a little bit about this. You can go back to chapter 12. Paul tells us the Spirit gives different gifts to different people. We don't all get the same gifts. So even though he wants us all to speak in tongues, he knows we, don't, we won't all do that. <laughs> And each gift is given, and we shouldn't be, we should be happy, we should just be grateful. I mean, there's a lot going on, you've got to read the whole context, but let's talk a little bit about uh, this tongues and the prophecy, and I'll be honest, there's some things I know, and there's some things I don't know, and you may even raise questions you can ask me later, but, but some of the things I don't know. I'm not 100% sure. Some people will argue that these tongues are just other languages, so I, I, I speak English, but all of a sudden I can speak German. And I've never studied German, but I can just do it. Some, some people will read tongues that way. Other people will read tongues as an angelic, kind of angelic language to God. But either way, as you see maybe in these verses or as we keep reading, these tongues were utterances of sound that were unintelligible and required an interpreter to make them known. That's pretty fair from this chapter. It seems they were primarily speech directed by God. And you'll see as we keep reading, I'll just call this out now. But somehow in the praying of tongues, the speaking in tongues, somehow it bypasses the speaker's conscious mind. <laughs> and there's a sense of adoration and gratitude that wells up and overflows. But it, it seems to be some kind of private language of love. But in Corinth, what Paul has worked up about is it's become a way of showing off. It's become a way of interrupting others or, or gaining attention for yourself rather than Jesus of performing. 
And Paul's like, that's not love. <laughs> now, let me say this here, just in vulnerability, and may- maybe you're curious. I, I have never spoken in tongues. It's not a gift that God has given me. But I will say I do actually have friends that I trust have. <laughs> now, I've never heard them. They're real, actually, it's not the first thing they told me. I usually had to get to know them for a while. But they do it privately, partly because of this text. It's, it's not something they share. It's a private language. I've never done it. It's not something that we do here at Crossview when we gather. I'm probably not the right person to lead that since I've never done it. But I've met Christians, great brothers and sisters in Christ, and the Spirit has moved in them in this way, and they've, they've done that. I, but we walk in humility. Maybe that's not your experience. Maybe you've never been around. Oh, we just walk in humility, and we, we humbly walk together. Prophecy. Well, prophecy is, is a type of speaking that Paul is very clear, at least in the corporate gathering, is better than tongues because it builds up the church. It's God-given wisdom. It's God-given understanding, God-given insight, or God-given teaching that the church needs if it's going to move forward in the advancement of the kingdom. You could say one of the differences between prophecy and tongues here is that prophecy is needed to become a community, to become a family and not an accidental collection of private individuals. It seems like the prophetic voice kept the living voice of Jesus fresh in the early church. And you have to remember, the early church did not have a Bible. So prophecy, it was really important. And, um, yeah, I mean, most people couldn't even read. The New Testament, I mean, the Gospels hadn't even been written down yet when Paul was writing 1 Corinthians. So it gives you, a, it's just a different time in history. And because of that, people, again, in the spirit of humility, wrestle with what might prophecy have looked like in the early church. Was it what sometimes people tend to think, though I think this is not the, likely not the most prominent answer, but some kind of foretelling of the future. But even when you read the Old Testament prophets, foretelling of the future is not the major thing that they're doing. They're mostly dealing with the present. So, but anyway, sometimes people read it that way. Sometimes people just read it as somebody is getting a fresh word from the living Jesus, and then as the church, and you'll see as we read through that, then they were evaluating that. Is that really from Jesus? Is that for the good of the church? And there are those in our tradition who will argue that this is what we would call preaching. That when they, what they call prophecy was either taking an Old Testament passage and then applying it, connecting it to Jesus, seeing how Jesus fulfills that passage, or because the gospel was oral at this point, it was maybe somebody standing up to share a story about Jesus or a teaching of Jesus and then applying it to the church for the edification of the church. Again, we weren't there. We don't know. It was a very different time in history in a different place. But what we do know is that prophecy is lifted up by Paul because everyone can understand it. Hope you see that. So let's keep reading, verses 6 to 25. Again, this will just kind of add... And Paul's being direct, but he's trying to teach. He's trying to shepherd. Brothers and sisters, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even, and he's going to give you two metaphors that I think are pretty clear, even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what's played? If, if, if you don't put the musical notes in order, we don't know what song you're doing, Right? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, how, is the, how are the soldiers going to know it's time to wake up and get ready, right? That's what he's saying. So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter this speech that is not intelligible, who's going to know what you're saying? 
for you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager, verse 12, this is kind of his point all the way through, you're eager for manifestations of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is clearly moving in your midst, but aim for love, pursue love, strive to excel in building up the church, serve one another. Don't make this about you. Verse 15, therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. That's why somehow it bypasses the conscious mind. Again, I've never done this, so I'm not speaking from experience. But having talked to some friends that I trust, I don't know, it almost is like, you know, have you ever gotten lost in the music? Or just lost in nature? Like it's, it's not all rational, logical, linear thinking. I don't know, some of that's going on. It's just... Maybe, maybe when we're worshiping, sometimes you're just, you're singing the words, but you just feel the presence of God. You know his nearness, you know his love and his comfort. I don't know, something like that going on. Verse 15, what am I to do? I will pray with my spirit. I will pray from my heart, but I will also pray with my mind. I'm not going to forfeit my heart for the sake of my mind, but I'm also not going to forfeit my mind for the sake of my heart. I will sing praise with my spirit, and I will sing praise with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, but no one knows what you're saying, how can anybody say amen with you, right? Like, that's what he's saying. No one knows what you're saying. For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. They're just confused. Verse 18, again, this is Paul. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Paul is not diminishing the gift of tongues. Nevertheless, verse 19, and this is maybe instructive because if you come to Crossview, we don't practice tongues when we gather for worship. This is a big reason why. Paul says, in church, when we gather, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. That's what Paul says. Verses 20 to 25, Brothers and sisters, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. I'm going to pause there and do a slight turn, but I, I want to do this. For, for those of you in middle school and high school who are in here right now, those of you in college, maybe anybody watching online, I was thinking about it. This verse kind of struck me as, as, as interesting. Because, because many of you are being raised in Christian homes, and you're, you're being given a, a compass setting, hopefully towards love, but, but you're being taught a morality that flows from the character of Jesus Christ, which means your parents are intentionally teaching you some things and intentionally trying to not have you experience all that is going on in this broken world filled with evil. And I have, I don't do this every day, but on many an occasion, I have prayed for my son. Lord, would you protect his innocence? <laughs> would you keep him from evil until he's mature enough to handle the brokenness in this world? Because there's real evil in this world. I pray that. And I think back to my own experiences of growing up, and there are times when you get into middle school and you get into high school and you get into college where you get around people that were maybe raised in a different moral setting. They're to be loved by Jesus. Everybody needs Jesus. <laughs> but sometimes they will talk about how educated they are in what we might call the ways of evil. <laughs> Some of the things that Jesus might say aren't so moral, and you might start thinking, I don't want to be an infant in this stuff. 
I feel insecure and somehow I'm not as cool because I haven't experienced everything my friends have experienced. Let me tell you, Paul says, it's good to be an infant in evil. Never feel that way, please. Your parents are doing their best and there are some things you just don't need to be an expert in. There's some things you don't need to be experienced in. It's good to be an infant in evil. <laughs> but in everything else, grow in love. Be mature in love. And the law is written by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, it's an interesting verse, conversation for another day, but tongues are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers. Well, prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he's convicted by all. He is called by account by all. Verse 25, the secrets of his heart are disclosed. And maybe this describes an experience you had coming to church. Secrets are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is here. God is among us. I hope that happens across you. <laughs> Well, Paul is trying to provide order and structure for worship. Why? Because living in the world we live in, our soul gets distorted and twisted out of shape. All of life is worship, but there is something different about our formal gathering on Sunday mornings, whether it's in person or online right now. Or let me say it this way, Christian worship is obviously far more than our Sunday gathering, but it's never less than that. <laughs> it's never less than that. We need the spiritual formation that comes from prayerful worship. Or let me say it this way, if you never express in prayer and language that you worship, praise, and give thanks to God, I'm afraid your soul will be malformed. You'll forget that God is God and you are not. So much of what we do flows from our identity as a worshiping people. For over 2,000 years, our brothers and sisters have gathered every single Sunday because the resurrection of Jesus is the coolest, greatest, most powerful thing that has ever happened. God has conquered death and given us a way forward in life. And so we gather on Sundays to become a kind of people who learn to love as Jesus has loved. We retell the story of Jesus over and over. We sing songs. We pray prayers. We give tithes and offerings. We worship God because we need to worship God. It's part of how we open up our soul, our wounded and malformed soul, into the infinite goodness of God so He can heal us and put us back together and reshape us in His image. I know that I need to worship God. If I don't worship God, my soul will be misshapen. I will be selfish, and I need to keep Jesus at the center of my worship. You know, one of the things I did this summer is meeting with somebody, and, and they had never read the Chronicles of Narnia. Let me, let me say this. It's, you're, it's never, you're never too old to read the Chronicles for the first time. Read the Gospels first, if you haven't read the Gospels. But then read the Chronicles of Narnia. These are great books. And I met with somebody this week. They just got through book five, Voyage of the Dawn Treader, and they were sharing with me 
one of their favorite parts. And I was like, I'm preaching that on Sunday. That's good. They were talking about Eustace. Eustace is one of the characters in the book. I won't tell you his story. You've got to read it. It's awesome. Such a good part of the book. But Eustace is essentially, we could say, born again by Aslan, who's this Jesus character in the Chronicles of Narnia. And as you think about formation on a weekly, like repetitive, every Sunday we come together to be shaped, let me read this, just a few sentences here. That describes Eustace, but I think it gets at what I'm trying to say. This is what C.S. Lewis writes. It would be nice and fairly nearly true to say that from that time forth, Eustace was a different boy. But to be strictly accurate, he only began to be a different boy. He had relapses. There were still many days when he could be very tiresome. But most of those I shall not notice. The cure had begun. That's such a good telling. You and I, maybe, 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 you're, maybe you're here this morning and you're curious about Jesus. There, there is a moment, there's a time when you know that you know that you know that Jesus is every bit of who he claims to be. And you can say out loud in worship, Jesus Christ is Lord. My allegiance is to Jesus. Jesus is my Savior. The Father raised Jesus from the dead. My sins are forgiven. And you know it to be true. The Holy Spirit assures you of that truth. And the cure begins. And you're changed, but not totally. (laughs) And now you join the church. You get baptized, and you join the church, and we gather weekly to learn afresh, anew, to be educated, to be discipled in the ways of Jesus. We're still tiresome some days, but we become more and more like Jesus as we stay on the journey. I believe that's part of what Paul is getting at here as he's trying to help this church. Well, let's keep reading. Verses 26 to 40, well, 26 to 35, he's going to get really specific, and then he wraps it up in 36 to 40. But I want to walk through this because this can be very misleading um, or confusing if you don't see what he's doing. What then, brothers and sisters... When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Again, in case you missed it, let all things be done for building up. Because what's been going on is they've been showing off. They've been performing. They've been interrupting. They've been talking over. They've been diminishing what other people say so they could have their turn. So Paul's going to get really specific. Verse 27. If any speak in a tongue, let there be two, only two or three at most, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. So again, they're talking over each other, and it's also possible, it probably depends where you're from on this one too, that church is getting too long. (laughs) You know, we aim at an hour and 15 minutes here, but if you travel around the world, good luck finding a church that's that short. Most services I've been to have been two, three, four hours long. I'm not kidding, overseas. So who knows what's going on here? But Paul's trying to bring some order. And basically what he's saying is, look, if some of you have the gift of tongues, great. But only two or three of you are going to do it. If there's four or five or six of you, the others, you got to stay silent. You're just going to be silent. And honestly, if there's no interpreter, you're all going to be silent. None of you get to talk because... We're aiming at some structure and some order. Verse 29, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. 
If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy, notice, one by one in turn, so that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets, for God is not a God of confusion or chaos, but peace. So even here, we got two or three at a time. If there's four or five or six of you, you've got to be silent and stop talking over each other. One by one, listen, show respect. Do you see what's going on? Because if you don't understand that, then you're going to misunderstand what Paul says next. And I, it could be troubling for many. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. For they're not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. So some of you are like, I thought Paul was cool. I don't like Paul anymore. <laughs> Or some of you are like, wait a minute, Sarah just spoke. Man, our, our church is awful. What are we doing? Or I, I sang. My voice was heard. Are we, are we doing everything wrong? What? So let me, let, me, let me tell you what I, I really think is going on here. Um, you, you have to remind yourself that in the, early, in the first century of the Roman world, women were not as educated as men. And so it would have been really, really common for women to not understand everything that was happening when you gathered together to worship Jesus. And the women were certainly welcome there. Read the Gospels. (laughs) And so it's quite possible that the wives were making a lot of rackets. Either they don't understand what's going on, so they're just talking with each other. Or they're trying to learn and understand, and they're asking their husbands, and it's just making all this noise. And Paul's like, look... When we get to this part of the service, women, you got to be quiet and go home and ask your husbands because it's just too chaotic. Uh, one commentator says it this way. Paul lists three groups of people who were disturbing worship. Oh, I need to, I need to say this too because it's really important. I forgot to say this. So a few weeks ago, we were in chapter 11. It's really, actually really important. In chapter 11, we were talking about how there was something, Paul celebrating the differences of gender. But there was something going on in first century Corinth where where it was, it was inappropriate for men to not have their head covered while they were speaking in church. And it was inappropriate for women to, it was inappropriate for men to not have, to, it was inappropriate for men to have their head covered and women, inappropriate for women not to have their head covered. How's that? And so women had to have their head covered and men needed to have their head uncovered. Something was going on. We don't really understand. All scholarship agrees. Something was going on in Corinth, but we don't really fully understand. But what, what we know from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is that if you were a woman and your head was covered, you were invited to pray and prophesy. <laughs> so we know that women weren't silent in the early church. We know that. Uh, we already know that from the text. So, so Paul lists three groups of people who were disturbing worship, and he's trying to provide leadership. And so this is what he said. The male and female speakers in tongues are told, if there is no interpreter, be silent in the church. The male and female prophets are told, don't all talk at once, be silent in church. And the married women with Christian husbands who attend are told, don't ask questions during the worship and don't chat. Ask your husbands at home, be silent in church. I think that's the best way of understanding what Paul is saying here and why I think we're doing okay as a church. Verse 36, he's going to wrap this up. Or was it from that Uh, Was it from you that the word of God came? Are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. And what I've been trying to do as we've gone through this is kind of help you see, because I think when Paul says things like this, he literally has in mind something Jesus said or did. 
He has no problem saying, uh, this is from me, this isn't from the Lord. It's usually easy to trace. Well, well, what is Paul referring to when he talks about a command of the Lord? It made me, you think about 1 Corinthians 13 and how we begin pursue love. It made me think of the gospel of John, a new commandment I give you, love one another. <laughs> love is the great command from Jesus. And Paul is saying, when you gather, practice love. Because God is love, you should look like love and learn to love. I'm writing to you, this is the command of the Lord. If you don't recognize this, you're not recognized. Verse 39, so brothers and sisters earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order with thoughtfulness, with the, with the aim of formation. We gather to worship Jesus and to learn to love, not to perform or show off. We gather together as the people who confess Jesus as Lord, and we ask that the Holy Spirit would be at work in us to form us to be like him. And I want to make a contemporary application. I, I think this isn't exactly what was happening in Corinth, but I think it's close enough. I think primarily, and there's, church history is actually worth studying if you ever want to get into it. And there are reasons why we worship the way we do on a Sunday morning here in America like this. There's, there's lots of historical reasons. I mean, the church, obviously, you read through chapter 14, the church around the world has not always worshipped the way we worship on a Sunday and there's beauty in that. There's different expressions of our worship. I, I think that's great. Uh, but, I, but I don't think performing is the primary uh, obstacle to worship when we gather here at Crossview. Uh, I think Matt and I need to guard our hearts. You can pray for us that we would not perform or please, uh, that, that we are in danger of that because of the way we do worship and we are up front so much. But I think more likely for most people here, uh, it's, it's more likely that uh, consumerism and entertainment become the major obstacles to your ability to engage worship. Uh, we live in a culture that is shaped by consumerism, and it shapes our souls, and it shapes the way we then evaluate everything. Because in a consumer culture, the purpose of life is you getting your needs met at a cost that is beneficial to you. So it's dangerous to bring that kind of evaluation filter to church because you will come to church if you just listen to commercials. And, and you're not attentive. And you're just drifting. You will come to church and you will say, was that 75 minutes worth my time? Did I get what I need? I mean, Sunday morning is prime real estate in my weekend. And is that worth my time? I get what I need. If you've been paying attention to Paul, Paul is literally saying the exact opposite. The Holy Spirit is here. He's given you a gift. The gift isn't really for you. It's for your neighbor. And you should exercise it by serving. <laughs> in, other, putting the, in other words, putting the needs of others ahead of your own. Putting the needs of the community ahead of the individual. When consumerism becomes the way we evaluate everything, we ask the question, what's in it for me? Paul's never asking that question. And we come with this mantra, maybe in the back of our mind, entertain me. I know that's one of the things that's probably hard. You're so used to being entertained when you watch things on screens. Those of you who are still in online church, I know this is a constant temptation for you. 
I have no doubt this is not as entertaining as your comedy sitcoms that you watch, right? Like, I, I understand that, but that's not, what, that's not our posture. And I think most of us know this at Crossview, to be honest. I, I, don't, I mean, I don't think you'd be at Crossview if you want to be entertained. I don't, I just, I don't think we're that entertaining. So. But let me, let me say this. Let me encourage you then. And maybe you can receive this as encouragement. You and I are not here to be entertained. We are here to encounter the sacred. Jesus Christ is here. We are not consumers. We are worshipers. We are not here to be entertained. We are here to encounter the sacred. We are not consumers. We are worshipers. So what should our attitude be on a Sunday morning, whether we're at home or gathering here together? What should... What should be our attitude? Or maybe you could say Paul talks about what, what spirit are we of? What should our spirit be? Maybe you write this down and this becomes a prayer. Maybe you say this as kind of an identity of who you are every Sunday. I'm a disciple intending to worship, not a consumer needing to be entertained. Maybe you say that every Sunday. I'm a disciple intending to worship, not a consumer needing to be entertained. I'm gathering at church on Sunday, online or in person, because the church has done it for 2,000 years, because Jesus is risen. Amen. Amen. And if there's anything we should balance our life around or revolve our life, that truth. Jesus Christ is Lord. God is a God of love. And so sometimes the, the live stream, I know sometimes the live stream fails, I'm sorry. Sometimes the worship is just in the wrong key which I don't even understand. I just know it happens. Sometimes I preach a total dud. I know it. No one says, good job, pastor, that week. I'm like, all right, next week. (laughs) But here's the thing. You didn't come to consume, and you didn't come to be entertained. You came because Jesus Christ is here, because he's alive, and because as we gather together, we are formed by him So that when we go out into this evil, broken world, we can imitate him and be his presence in a broken world. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Beautiful Savior, you know us, and we matter to you. And you wish to make us beautiful on the inside. You wish to form us and shape us, a simple reflection of your self-giving love. And we consent to this interior renovation. So give us courage. It's hard to confess and repent. So give us courage to observe our own unloving words, our unloving gestures, our unloving desires. So we may become increasingly passive to the personality in us, the old self that needs to die, that wants to react that wants to attack or respond in the ways we have been taught by those who have forgotten love. Because you're a God of love and we belong to you and the beauty of love is our destination. So we ask this morning, would you begin anew our second education into love by your word and spirit, leading us deeper into your way, your truth, and your life. Amen.